Hello, I'm Dr. Nathan. Welcome to Vet Talk, the veterinary podcast. Thanks for listening. There are a few ways you can be listening right now. One is on SoundCloud and the other is on iTunes. Either way, I want you to be able to get in touch with me and let me know what you think about this podcast. There are a few ways of doing this. You can email me directly at theveterinarypodcast at gmail.com, or probably an easier way is to like the Facebook page we have, which you can find with the Facebook search Vet Talk semicolon The Veterinary Podcast. Either way is fine, but I'd like to hear what listeners are thinking and what they may want to hear about. Anyway, on to our episode for the day, the veterinary client-patient relationship. Wow, that sounds boring, doesn't it? Well, it's actually important to your pets and the veterinarian. FYI, I'm going to refer to it as VCPR from now on, so the entire episode is not me saying veterinary client-patient relationship. So, to describe the VCPR, we're going to talk a little bit more about vaccinations. I can't seem to get off that topic, can I? Well, I'm not going to go over individual vaccinations, but I need to talk about some history and how veterinarians used vaccinations. Vaccinations are something that proves the veterinarians in general are not good business people. Vets, until recently, have had very little required business training, yet many of us go on to own our own veterinary practice or run a business. Somehow, we seem to do okay, but most of us business owners learn a lot from experience. At least that is what I had learned the most from. Experience is usually the best teacher when it is a mistake that costs you money. In my own business, I've made mistakes. Not fully understanding a contract, that was just a thousand dollar mistake, jumps to mind. However, veterinarians as a profession make mistakes as well. One of these mistakes was vaccinations. No, no, not that vaccinating animals is bad. That's really important, but rather how we handled vaccinating animals. When vaccines came out, everyone started using them, and vets were the only one with access to them. As an industry, we had a monopoly, and we capitalized on it by making a lot of money on vaccines. People had to go to a vet for those vaccines. We forgot that our monopoly may not hold forever. And guess what? It didn't hold forever. Vaccines eventually became an over-the-counter product, and people realized they didn't need their vet to give a shot. They simply buy a vaccine at a local feed store and give the shot themselves. Well, this brought about two problems. First, with the vaccines themselves. Vets are trained to handle vaccines and understand the scientific principles of how they work. So a vet can order from a qualified distributor who gets from a qualified manufacturer a proper vaccine for each animal that they are treating. And as vets, we know how often the vaccine needs to be given and can handle that vaccine properly. Most vaccines need to be stored at a certain temperature. If they get too warm, they don't work. Manufacturers ship in a temperature-maintained package to the vet who then takes it directly to their refrigerator to maintain that temperature. We call it maintaining the cold chain. If by chance you get your vaccines at a local feed store, you're not going to know if they're ordering from a trusted manufacturer. When it is received, it may be unloaded by a disgruntled 16-year-old whose parents have forced him to get a job, which he only does half-heartedly. Does that 16-year-old get the vaccines to the refrigerator quickly? I don't know. Perhaps. Then, once on the shelves, instead of years of medical training, 
you as the buyer will be deciding what to vaccinate for. As you learned in previous episodes, there are a lot of things you can choose to vaccinate for. Deciding that entirely by yourself can be challenging, especially when the vaccines are often combined into different combination vaccines. So do you get the vaccine that has the West Nile with the flu? Do you get the vaccine that just has West Nile alone? Where I think rabies is important. Where Where's that rabies vaccine? Oh yeah, only a veterinarian can give that because it's regulated by state law because it is a disease that can be passed to people. Well, I guess I just won't get the rabies vaccine because I don't really want to have the vet out. So as you can see, this can lead to a lot of problems, one of which is the population of animals may not be vaccinated for rabies. This leads to health threats to not only our animals, but to us. But mainly, quality of patient care is lessened. Let's say that you choose all the vaccines properly, and the disgruntled 16-year-old was in a happy mood that day because his girlfriend let him get to the first base. So he quickly put the vaccines in the fridge when he was stocking inventory. Now we get to the farm. More problems can arise here. I have seen people give half of the required dose or sit the vaccine in the sun for hours on end. That inactivates the vaccine, making it as useless as if a disgruntled 16-year-old packed the fridge at work. Again, the patient may not be getting the care they need. If you remember from our equine vaccination episode, we have to be wary of what people vaccinate with. When someone says, I vaccinate my horse, that means something totally different to the next person down the road. So as a vet, I just don't trust what people say about vaccination. They just don't always know what they mean when they say that their horse is vaccinated. Or really, the person they are talking to doesn't know what they mean because everyone has a slightly different idea of what vaccinating, I'm using those air quotes again, means. When I have in my records what the horse was vaccinated with, I feel much easier with making treatment and diagnostic recommendations. I know exactly what the horse has been vaccinated with. Vaccinations without veterinary involvement have a lot of ways to become less than ideal patient care. But that's the medical side. We as veterinarians lost control of vaccinating animals and patient care has suffered for it. On the business side, we made a mistake that has had greater effects on patient care and on the ability of veterinarians to run an effective business. That is the way we charged for vaccines. Well, we charged for vaccines, but not really anything else. Remember, we had a monopoly, so we charged for what the client bought and did a lot of other things for free. Again, remember, I said veterinarians aren't always the best of businessmen. We made money off vaccines, and then we didn't charge for the services we performed. We didn't charge for the knowledge that we gave out, and that has hurt us as a profession and our patients. Because eventually, the monopoly was lost and vaccines left veterinarians' hands and went to where most anyone could sell them. So, as I have learned, supply and demand dictates that when supply is up, prices go down. We see it all the time at the gas pump. When there is a reserve of gas, price drops. When the gas is scarce, price goes up. Well, vaccines were scarce when they were in the vet's hands, and then when they went to everyone's hands, the prices of vaccines became very competitive and dropped. Vets realized they had to make up for the income shortfall they now had. They began charging for their services. However, a generation of people were used to getting services for free and just paying for vaccinations. 
so they resented being charged for something they used to get for free. In reality, the vet wasn't making more money off the client, they were just getting the charges dispersed differently on the bill. Again, this hurt the patient. Vets may have made their money off the vaccines, but while giving the vaccines, they gave free exams or provided free services, or at least very low-cost services and exams. When a vet was up close to an animal, they could see it and examine it and find out what things were wrong. Now that clients could vaccinate on their own, these clients didn't have a reason to have the vet out, and many animals were not observed, and sickness that could have been prevented was missed. This is where the VCPR comes in. As a vet, we want to see this animal. We want to be able to provide the best care possible to our patients. This requires us to be able to observe the animal and use the skills we have been taught to perform an exam. It is good medicine to be able to get our hands on the animal, and it is also a legal requirement. A veterinarian cannot dispense or prescribe medication without having the VCPR in place. This means that the vet has to know their client or owner of the animal and has to have examined that animal. Legally speaking, we could lose our license if we don't maintain this relationship. Let me quote the AVMA on how it describes a VCPR. A VCPR is present when all of the following requirements are met. There's five of them. Number one, the veterinarian has assumed the responsibility for making clinical judgments regarding the health of the patient and the client has agreed to follow the veterinarian's instructions. This is a two-way street. It's not just the vet, but a relationship between the client and the vet. Number two, the veterinarian has sufficient knowledge of the patient to initiate at least a general or preliminary diagnosis of the medical condition of the patient. This means that the veterinarian is personally acquainted with the keeping and care of the patient by virtue of a timely examination of the patient by the veterinarian or medically appropriate and timely visits by the veterinarian to the operation where the patient is managed. This means we have to know about the animal. It gives leeway on managing animals and herds of animals, but it means we must have a certain amount of information about that animal and client. Number three. The veterinarian is readily available for follow-up evaluation or is arranged for the following, veterinary emergency coverage and continuing care and treatment. Number four, the veterinarian provides oversight of the treatment, compliance, and outcome. And number five, patient records are maintained. I'm from Kentucky. Kentucky has made this a law, KRS 321.185 to be specific. It basically says the same thing, but was written by lawyers, so it says the same thing in a lot of different words. Someone is probably saying, well, that's obviously a law that a veterinarian put into place. They have the law saying they have to make money in order to treat my animal. And I guess a vet could have put that law into place. I don't know. But remember, unlike politicians and used car salesmen, veterinarians care a lot for their patients and the people they serve. We invest our lives in making sure that our patients continue to live. This law is in place for the patient's benefit. Let me give you an example. Clients lie. If you watch Hugh Laurie on his show House, he says all the time how patients lie. He's a little harsh, but the TV show generally shows how he is right. And in reality, I have found that people generally lie too. The difference between Dr. House and myself is I think most people don't realize they are lying. I had a call once. The owner called and said, Hurry, Doc, you need to get out here. My horse is vomiting. I remember thinking, horses can't vomit. 
Okay. What makes you think your horse is vomiting? Well, I just fed it, and now all this feed is coming back out its nose. Okay, okay. I'm on my way. So I get out there, and the horse is choking. Choke in horses is different from choke in humans. In humans, choking is because you get something in your trachea and can't breathe. In horses, something gets stuck in their esophagus, and they can't swallow. The body then tries to get what is in the esophagus out by filling it with fluid, which will then break up whatever's in there, most of the times, which is feed, and then that hopefully will come back out. Sometimes it needs help from a veterinarian. Usually we can get it out. A lot of times, without the veterinarian, or even with the veterinarian around, it comes out the nose. So I get out to this client who says her horse was vomiting and scream, Liar! It's not vomiting. The horse is choking. Liar! No, I don't do this. The owner wasn't lying. The owner's senses showed them digested, or at least food that was wetted, coming back up from inside the body. The horse was probably showing some signs of discomfort, which may have been interpreted as heaving. That's where my veterinary exam and knowledge helped out. A client might treat vomiting by administering something akin to Pepto-Bismol. Well, that's not going to help this horse because it isn't really vomiting, and it needs to have its esophagus cleared, not an anti-vomiting medication. The VCPR made sure that patient was treated correctly versus treatment based off of what those lying owners were saying. And I say lying owners, and I don't mean it so harshly. I don't expect people to know everything. That's why I am here, to be an expert about their animals. My clients are experts in what they do. You can't expect someone to know everything, so I am here to help with what I know. But back to when vets decide to train people to think veterinary knowledge was free. Now, people want that knowledge, and vets are finding it hard to practice the best medicine and finding it hard to run an effective business when we can't get paid for it. The effects of this are poor patient care and veterinarians that are having trouble showing clients the value of their service. I often marvel when people call me up and just ask for some drugs. You know, I'm a doctor. I had just as much training as a human physician. I can't imagine a human calling up a physician and just getting drugs without being seen. Well, actually I can. I believe it was a Dateline episode and people went to jail. Yet, that is what people seem to expect of veterinarians. It is a little belittling to me, but I understand it. In society animals in general aren't valued as much, so the vet isn't valued as much either. As we have been discussing, vets made a few mistakes and taught people not to value our knowledge and just the products we can give people. So really, it's our own fault that patient care is not being given as best as it could be and that people may not respect the knowledge that we as vets can give them by putting our hands on an animal. And really, I must say a lot of people respect vets' knowledge. They are calling us for the products we recommend and for our advice. They just have been trained not to pay for it, and they don't realize how much paying for a hands-on exam can really do for their animal. I remember when I took my national board exams, I was shown a picture of a cow. I had to diagnose that from a distance, or just a picture in this case. I did. Just by seeing an animal, my training and experience told me that cow had a certain disease. With cattle, a lot of times I will diagnose over the phone. Cattle medicine is often economically limiting in what one can do. However, I make sure, even when I diagnose over the phone, that the VCPR is still being upheld. If I have been to a farm recently and have a relationship with that client where I know how to interpret that client's lies 
and know their capabilities, I am comfortable prescribing medicine in certain situations. I also require my clients with herds of cattle to keep an up-to-date herd form filled out so I know how they manage their cattle and I know how many cattle they have. With all that knowledge, I will let the client have things without me visiting cattle. However, I have told clients, well, I know you think it sounds like this, but I need to get a look at it. And I prescribe to people without seeing their animals with the knowledge that those people understand there are times where I need to see their animals to make a proper diagnosis. Also, these people understand without me actually seeing the animal, my exam is limited and their phone description may not be enough to properly diagnose. Wait, the phone description and perhaps a picture the client emails may not be enough? What? You just said you can diagnose off a picture. Why won't that suffice? Well, sometimes it does. But again, if I can use all my senses to evaluate an animal, I can get more information. If I just look at a picture, I can't sense heat in a joint. I can't smell infection. And we all like smelling infection, right? I can't palpate the animal. There are so many things I can't do without being in the room with that animal. So many times I have to explain to people the more exam I do, the more information I have, and the better I can treat your animal. That is better for patient care and also usually better on the pocketbook because the more precise treatment I can give means the quicker recovery and less trips to the vet. And we know vet trips can add up. And in this scenario I'm describing I chart all of this. So I'm not dispensing drugs to just anyone who calls up. I'm dispensing drugs to people whose herds I have seen. I have up-to-date information on, whom know I am available if initial treatment doesn't work, and I chart all of this so when the owner calls back up, I know what we've done in the past. In a situation like this, I'm providing good care myself, meeting the owner's needs, and defending my license against enforcement of state laws. There are a good number of people I've declined to give drugs to because I can't uphold the VCPR with. Locally, not long ago, a vet passed away in the community. Some of his clients came to me and asked for drugs. They got very frustrated with me when I wouldn't just give them drugs. They said, well, the last vet did, why won't you? I tried to explain to them that they had used their last vet for years and, and had a VCPR with, with that vet. But this person had never met me before, so I couldn't legally or ethically dispense drugs to him. This caller, the one I am thinking of right now, I'm pretty certain was drunk, did not want to enter into a client-patient relationship where we worked together for the patient. He just wanted certain supplies. I could not and did not do that for him. Right about now, there's probably a horse owner out there or a dog owner still wondering why their dog or horse can't be treated like a cow. Why can't I just call up and get what I need? I had the dog into you three months ago, Doc. Can't you just give me some antibiotics for the skin? He's all itchy. Well, your dog may have just been in three months ago, but the dog was totally fine then, according to my records. I'm wondering, is this dog itchy because of a bacterial infection? Is the dog itching from fleas? Is the dog itching from mange? Is the dog itching from a fungal infection? Perhaps the dog has allergies. I wonder if it is a food allergy or if it is an allergy to a mold or pollen. Uh, well, I don't know, Doc. I don't see any mange. I bet it's some of the other things. Hmm, well, you won't see mange. It's microscopic. I think it would be best to bring the dog in so I can see it and use my four years of veterinary school and years of experience to determine the problem. That may sound a little snobby, and I don't mean it to be. 
I just know about animal diseases and I am trained to make it look simple to the client. I can perform an exam and ask a few brief questions to rule out a lot of diseases. The client may not even know some of these diseases exist. So I can use my training to make a proper diagnosis and give a proper treatment. Just going off of what the client says isn't always accurate because like we discussed before, even though they're not really lying, they're interpreting things with an unmedical mind. I'm trained to interpret diseases. A lot of times people aren't. Not to say that a lot of clients don't know exactly what's going on with their animal, but it's best to make sure the best treatment is given and an accurate treatment is given. And I mean, we are realistic as vets. I have plenty of animals that I allow their owners to pick stuff up for without seeing that patient at that time. Those animals which I do this for, I have seen and diagnosed a problem and am managing the problem. If I have diagnosed fleas and the dog got better but then started itching when the flea meds ran out and I taught that owner what fleas look like and the owner calls up and says the dog has fleas again, I will prescribe flea medications that the owner can pick up. But I saw the dog, I, so I fulfilled my legal obligations as well as provided good care for the patient. It works in herds about the same. As I described, I don't give to a herd I've never seen, but if I know the dynamics of that herd, I will treat it accordingly. The same thing with small animals. Vets use their clinical judgment and a proper relationship with the client to treat the animal. Vets do try to respect an owner's knowledge and also respect their financial constraints. But owners must respect the laws vets are held by and their training on how to manage medical problems. Anyway, to provide the best patient care, we need to see the animal, and you have to have your relationship with your veterinarian. Yes, as vets, we messed up and taught you that you don't have to value our medical advice and service. But we're trying to fix that. And realize, we aren't just trying to fix it because we want to charge you more. We want to see your animal so we can provide the best care possible. I am a professional. And every animal I see and client I serve, I want to do the best I can for. Often, my frustration of clients' request of diagnosing and treating an animal without me seeing them is not because I am mad at what they're asking, but rather I'm mad because I'm limited at being able to provide the best care for patients and owner. I take pride in my work, and I want to be able to do the best job I can for my patients. When I can fulfill the VCPR by doing an exam, I can do my job well. One of my professors complimented me in vet school for completing a complete physical exam on all my patients and not just looking for an individual problem. I've tried to keep that trait throughout my career because I have found so many things just by looking that have helped me solve cases. I've been able to prevent problems from happening by noticing things like tartar on dog's teeth. A dental cleaning removed that tartar before that tartar could cause things like heart disease or kidney disease or liver disease. I've also found on my exams that sometimes a problem is not as simple as it appears. With one horse, I remember the complaint was weight loss, so the owner wanted the teeth looked at and fixed. I did. However, when I looked more in depth, I found the horse also had stomach ulcers which needed treatment. We were able to treat that horse as soon as we did the dental, and the horse got better. Otherwise, if I just performed the service without an exam, it would have been a month of waiting for the benefits of the dental to take effect before realizing we still weren't gaining weight and diagnosing the ulcers. We did both at the same time, and the horse gained weight much quicker. 
Exams are helpful. In the case of the horse, it was eating appropriately quicker. So the owners saved the cost of a future vet visit, saved the cost of having to feed more for longer, and all for a little more money up front at the initial vet visit. It worked out for the benefit of the owner financially as well. Well, I think we've discussed this topic enough. I hope you see that visits to your vet are crucial and will result in better care for your animals. Yes, sometimes it seems expensive, but the result of a visit is much better than the results of a vet losing their license and not being able to help in the future, and also results in better treatment for your animals. Hopefully you've learned a bit. Come like us on Facebook, or if you'd like to send us an email, email theveterinarypodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be back with another episode soon. 